If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 32 at this time, and if you will stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word, Psalm 32. Every week we go to the written Word because we believe that it fully reveals the living Word, Jesus Christ. Psalm 32, the psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. And God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Oh, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Would you pray with me at this time? Father, we open our hearts to this word this morning. God, we ask that as we dive into this, Lord, that we would not be like the horse or the mule, God, that continually... Um, ignores the word that only through coercion will obey its master, Father. I pray this morning as we, as we look at your scriptures, as we come together, that we would be willing and anxious to believe that when we follow your path, joy is soon to follow, God. Father, I pray against the lie of the enemy that says that, that God, you just want to hold us back, that you just want to control our lives, that you just want us to, to have no fun, to have no joy. I pray against that lie and that you would reveal to us this morning that, Lord, when we obey you, all that comes is joy, all that comes is your glory, all that comes is everything we've ever wanted in this life, which is happiness, God. Father, you are the source of joy, and we confess that this morning. Lord, this church, this outpost of the gospel in this city proclaims boldly today that in Christ there is life, that in Christ there is joy, and that away from Christ is death and sorrow and evil. And we as your church and your people, we pray for your spirit's power to make us a part of the joy. We thank you, Jesus, for your life on our behalf. Open our hearts today to find joy in your word. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you be seated at this time? Well, good morning, church. As I begin today, I just want to say that I, I love you. If you have forgotten in the past week whether or not I love you, it is still true by God's grace. I love you, and uh, I think 
uh, I love my wife, and I love my friends, and I love a bunch of people. And I always wonder, you know, because they say talk is cheap, you know, like they say, okay, you can say whatever you want, but how do you know if it's true or not? And I was thinking today, I was kind of meditating on this uh, principle this morning of like, what does it mean to love somebody? Like, what is the greatest good? Like, if I say I love you, I can say that, right? But, but what, is that, what does that mean? Like, if I love you, what do I ultimately want for you? And I thought about, I've prayed about it, and I was like, okay, I think this is it. When you love somebody, you want them to have joy. And we believe that comes from God, amen. Like, if I love somebody, I want them to have joy, or, or even in a simpler way, I want you to be happy. If I love you, I want you to be happy. Love is action. Love is doing things for people, right? However, the reason why you do those things ultimately is for like this spiritual, deep down sense of joy. I want you to have a happy and joyful soul. Like, that's what I want for you as your pastor who loves you. But here's the problem. Okay, when it comes to joy. Here, here's the issue, okay? We say that. I can't, like, hand you joy. Like, I can't go pick it from a tree. I, 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 you, we say joy. We say happiness. I can't go to the store. I can't go to Walmart and buy you joy for $9.99, okay? With half off if you buy two at the same time. I can't do that. I can't buy you joy. Like, I can't, I can't go to a certain place in the world and pick it up. I can't, I can't hold it. I'm about, to, I'm about to really expand your mind here because we agree that happiness and joy are not tangible, physical things, right? Like, I, I mean, there are things that can make you happy or make you joyful. We're going to dedicate a beautiful baby this morning. And so, of course, you can kind of hold joy in a sense, but that thing gives you this inner spiritual sense of joy. And yet, if we agree that joy cannot be found in a tangible thing, why do we always try to find joy in tangible things? If joy is a thing of the, the spirit, then what made us think along the way that somehow money or even a human relationship was going to bring us joy? You see, Jesus in Matthew 23 was talking to the Pharisees, and he kept saying this thing. He said, look, you keep cleaning up the outside, and you're letting the inside rot. He said, if you clean the inside of your soul, the outer will then be made clean. You see, your outer life is who you are. It's your possessions. It's your money. It's your job. It's your personality. It's the, it's the persona that you portray to the world, and yet the inner part of you, your soul, the unseen part of you is where joy comes from. It is the unseen part of your existence, your soul, that interacts with the unseen God. It is the unseen part of you that finds joy and happiness and longing and fulfillment, things that you can't pluck from a tree, things that you can't buy from Walmart. It is the inside of you where these things happen, and this is the message that Jesus came to bring. He said, you put on a show, you look a certain way, you don't let people know who you are, you don't confess your sins, you don't open your soul, and then you wonder why nobody knows how you truly feel on the inside. Joy is something on the inside. And so I want to take you on a journey this morning to find joy. And the way that you clean your soul, you say, okay, so John, how do you do that? Here's one thing, confession of sin. I think like everything in a lot of ways we've been told about confession is totally off base. 
When you think of confession, you think of like, oh, it's bad. Oh, I'm going to be known. Oh, I'm going to be found out. And yet in the scriptures, every time confession is mentioned, there is joy at the end. You see it in this passage. It goes from being in a struggling, horrible place, not confessing sin. He confesses sin. At the end, it says rejoice in heart. Rejoice. Confession is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. And it is the way that we find joy in our souls. The confession of sin exists for the joy of your soul. I think I have that up here. The confession of sin exists for the joy of your soul. So let's go on a journey to find joy. You want to do that? Let's do that. Okay. Verses 1 through 4. First stop is a place called infection. Okay. Verses 1 through 4. Psalm 32. It says... Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The first stop on our journey to joy is this place called infection. If you've ever read through the Bible, uh, sin is a pretty consistent topic. And sin is basically anything that is contrary to the holy, perfect will of God. Okay? People say, okay, lying is a sin. Yes, lying is a sin, not just because it hurts people, but the ultimate reason why lying is a sin is because God said, you shall not lie. God is perfect. He is truth. He is beauty. And so to do anything opposite of what God says is evil, is pain, is suffering, is depravity. Sin is going against the will of God, which has been revealed in our souls. And the first place we come to is this idea of infection. The problem is we often think we're occasional sinners, and yet Paul makes the case in Romans that we're not just occasional sinners, but we have a sin nature, that we are infected with sin. If you, if you search, I have this thing called the ESV Study Bible on my computer where I prep for sermons, and you can search words, and I searched the word sin this week, and the word sin is pretty like consistent throughout the entire Bible. It's, you know, 10 times in this book, 11 times in this book, and you get to the book of Romans, and it's like 38 times the word sin is mentioned. You ever read Romans? And that's just the word sin. That's not even the word like unrighteousness or evil, just the word sin. And Paul is like going through it consistently. And the point that Paul is making is we're not just occasional sinners who mess up. We are infected with sin. Like the psalmist says, for when I kept silent, my bone wasted away through my groaning all the day long. It's not an occasional problem. It's an infectious disease that is so deep down in our souls. In Galatians 5, Paul says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Have you ever watched somebody... Who struggled with cancer. Have you ever watched somebody who struggled with the disease and they wanted to go run and play and they wanted to hold their children but they just couldn't. Their body had gotten too weak and, and they could have all the passion they wanted in the world and it meant nothing because they were sick. Sin is kind of like that. It's like 
a, a, a weakness that we have, that we, we are infected with it. We don't just occasionally slip up to an addiction. We don't just occasionally fall. We are completely and wholly affected with sin. And like the psalmist, it impacts all of us. And what the psalmist says is that it is miserable to live as if you have no sin. It is miserable to see evil in the world and to not acknowledge your own part in it. Church, it's not just ISIS. It's not just the the political party that you don't align with. It's not just your annoying neighbor that's evil. It's not just that person that cuts you off in traffic. It's not just that person that has a different viewpoint than you. It is you, it is me, it is humanity, and we are infected. And if we're going to find joy in this life like the psalmist does, we have to acknowledge the infection. We have to go deep into the inner life, into the inner self, into our soul, the unseen part of us. We have to try and obey the commandments and then fail and realize that even if I wanted to, I couldn't keep the commands of God. And to live as if you have no sin is miserable because you anchor your life in your sin nature and you never progress in this life and you never get any better and you hurt everybody around you and you never progress. Sin is a dead end. There is a path you can walk, but there's always an end to it. Have you ever been there? Sin is a dead end, but grace is a cul-de-sac. And sadly, many people stay right here in their life. Many people come to this place of infection and sin, and they stop. But we're going to go on, church, because we're on a road to find journey, to find joy. Second stop is this, confession. Look at verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. So our first stop is infection, and the second stop is confession. This is where it gets really good. This is where the good news comes in. Confession is like the most simple thing you could ever imagine. You confess your sin to God, God forgives your sin. That's it. It's, it's not a complicated process, right? It's not the tax code, right? It's not uh, Ikea furniture, okay? It's not uh, something so complicated, right? There's a lot of complicated stuff in this world, especially in our modern world, in our advanced Western world. There's a lot of complicated stuff. Confession of sin is like simple. You confess your sin. You trust in Christ. God makes you clean. That's all there is to it. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And then he said what? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. God tells us to confess our sin because it heals our soul and because he wants to forgive us. Confession is a really good deal, okay? You say what you did, God says, I love you and I forgive you and you are made clean. And this in the life of a Christian is a, is a daily act. And I think the reason why we don't like confession is because we live in a, what we would consider a just society, where like if I go and uh, rob Wells Fargo tomorrow and I steal like $30 million, okay, and then I feel really guilty about stealing that money, and then I go to the police station the next day and I say, hey, I I, I stole $30 million, Uh, I just want to confess that sin. They will think it's noble of me, but I will still go to jail, Amen. It's a nice act. I'll probably make Dateline or something. But like, seriously, even if you confess, you're still going to pay the penalty of what you did. 
You can hurt somebody and you confess and you're still going to pay the penalty. That is the confession of the world, but the confession and the kingdom of God is completely backwards. It is completely upside down. In the kingdom of God, those who confess are forgiven and those who do not confess are not forgiven. It is completely backwards. The world says if you love somebody, you will, you will act as if they have no sin. And yet Christ says if you love somebody, you will lovingly help them to improve their life in godliness. In 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, God wants to cleanse you this morning. He wants to make you new. He wants to, he wants to heal your wounds. He wants to make you in the image of God. He wants your soul to have joy. And this is why God says, look, bring your junk out into the open. Confess, find somebody, confess your sins. Pray to God early in the morning, tell him how wonderful he is and say, God, I sinned yesterday. Here's what I did. Please forgive me. You see, God wants us to confess our wounds because he desires to heal our wounds. I had a friend when I was probably like eight or nine years old, and I was at his house, and um, you know how it is when you're you know, eight or nine years old, and um, we, were, we were looking at maybe jumping off the roof because we just thought that'd be a fun thing to do. I don't know why you think that's fun when you're eight or nine years old. Um, it was a one-story house, and so there was a shot of not getting really hurt, but still not very likely when you're that short at that age, and... Uh, just by the way, don't ever jump off the roof. I just want to preface that right now. It's not fun. It wasn't fun for us. So anyway, we were thinking about doing that. We were trying to find a ladder, and, and this kid's dad saw what we were doing and saw what we were up to. And when we came inside to get some water, he said, look, I, I just want you to know, like, do not jump off of the roof, okay? Don't, I, I see what you're doing. You are not allowed to do that, okay? And my friend, who was kind of more like the adventurous kind, he just kind of nodded and said he wouldn't, just lied. And we went outside, and we, we found the ladder. We went up, and I was too scared. I've always been a chicken with that kind of stuff, even when I was eight or nine. So I, I didn't do it. But um, I was kind of interested in what would happen if he did it, you know? And so, of course, I, I, I don't know what. Like, what in the world is fun about jumping off the roof? I, I just don't get why that's fun. But when you're that age, when you're told not to do something, it just makes it like 10 times more fun. It's just the way to sit in nature, right? Anyway, so he climbed up, he jumps off, and of course, he jumps off, and when he comes down, he like lands on one foot, and he, he just starts like crying, and he's like screaming, and I'm sitting here like, oh my goodness, this is really bad. And he gets up, and I'm like, hey man, we gotta go tell your dad. He's like, we can't tell my dad because he told me not to do it. And I said, well, what are you gonna do? He's like, I, I, I'll just hide it. He said, I, I just, I'm not gonna, I hide it. And so like, I help him up, and he, he's like, he's like walking like this, and you can see in his face shame and guilt and, and a realization of his own stupidity just begin to set into him. And we walk inside, and his dad's sitting in the living room, and he's like, he's like trying to walk like this, you know, and, and his dad saw it the whole time. And we went into the room, and, and we were in there, and, and, and he, he pulled up his pants, and his, his leg just looked really messed up. And we were sitting in there, and I was like, man, what are you going to do? Like, you, you got to go to school, you know, on Monday. He's like, I don't know, man, but I can't tell my dad. I, I can't tell him. He told me not to do it. I did it anyway. I can't do it. About two minutes later, his dad, who was a really good dad, I mean, this man was so loving, so kind, knocks on the door, and he says, um, son, did you jump off the roof? He said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, what happened to your leg? He said, I tripped. 
He said, did you really trip? And then the kid broke down. He said, like, no, I, I, I jumped off the roof, and I didn't want to tell you because you told me not to do it, and then I, I, I went and did it anyway, and um, I, I, I heard it, and then I was embarrassed, and I was, I, I was ashamed, and I wanted to hide it from you. I, I know I shouldn't have done it. I see why you told me that now. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. And his dad, who was just the, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet, walked over and like, began like, to grab the kid's like, leg. And uh, I, th- I don't really remember. I, th- I think he had some kind of a medical background. And he, he was holding the kid's leg, and he was like doing this. He's like, does this hurt, you know? And, and he went, and he got some supplies, and he kind of got them all fixed up and was just so loving and so gentle and so gracious. And it was so impactful that even to this day, I still remember it. And, and when I think about that, I, that's... That's confession of sin right there. It's not some angry God who's just waiting to to pound you and to kick you down the stairs and to make you feel bad and to show you that you messed up. We come to confess our sins because God is anxious to heal the wounds that we acquire in this life. We know that the, the commands of Scripture, we know obedience is for the good of our soul, and then we disobey and we hurt ourselves, and we often want to, to, to not confess our sins to people or to others because we're ashamed and we're embarrassed, and yet the loving Father says, confess so that I can heal you. So we have infection, we have confession, and the third stop on our journey to joy is protection. I think you see where I'm going with this. Verse 7, the psalmist continues, he said, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with, that's my favorite line, with shouts of deliverance. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I am free. I am clean. I am made new. I am not bound. I am not evil. I am not twisted. I am made clean. Christ has saved me. He has made me new. He paid the penalty of that sin. I am free. That's a shout of deliverance. Not only when we confess our sin does God heal us of our sin, but he begins to then protect us from our sin. When we confess our sin, God fights the bully of sin on our behalf. This is the gospel. He doesn't just cleanse you, he protects you. God to protect us from sin because Romans says the wages of sin is death. So when we've sinned, we now deserve death. We deserve pain. We deserve anything but joy because sin is a joy killer. And yet when death was coming for us due to the penalty of our sin, the psalmist says, you are a hiding place for me from my own sin. You see, God fought your sin with Jesus Christ. Amen. You deserving death, and yet God loving you did not want us to pay the penalty of sin, which is death. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, this is the gospel, to live, to show us some stuff, but really ultimately to die on a cross, to rise again, that his death would pay for our sins, and that his new life would bring you and me to new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, which now lives inside of us. God protects us from our sin. He he heals us from the infection of sin. And we not only confess because it is something that cleans us, we confess because God then begins to protect us. I went to Seattle about a year and a half ago, and 
there's this thing called the Space Needle. I've got a picture up here of it. You've probably seen it. If you've ever watched Frasier, this, this is like a big part of it. I'm really into Frasier right now. So uh, anyway, there's like the Space Needle. It's like the biggest thing in Seattle. And uh, it looks utterly terrifying, especially for people like me who have a fear of heights. And uh, I remember we, uh, we went there, and I was kind of nervous to go because I'm, I'm a chicken. And uh, the day came for us to go to the Space Needle. And uh, it's one of the creepy things where, like, they have, like, you know, you know how they do it. Where, like, there's the elevator to go up, and yet it's like a glass elevator. You can see everything, you know, just so. It's like the Tower of Terror, you know. And anyway, so um, I went on that, and uh, I was kind of uneasy. We were on this elevator, and uh, the, there was, like, you know, the hostess lady who's, like, kind of telling you a little bit about the Space Needle um, while we're going up. She's, like, your host. And as we're going up, and it's just so terrifying... Um, you know, I'm kind of letting her know that I'm a little kind of terrified because the Space Needle is 605 feet tall. 605 feet above the ground, which is straight concrete. So it's like extremely dangerous. And so I'm kind of telling her that I'm kind of uneasy about this. And she's like, well, actually, surprisingly enough, um, in the event of an earthquake, because I mentioned like, well, what if there's like an earthquake? This is the West Coast, you know? Uh, she said, actually, in the event of an earthquake in the city of Seattle, the Space Needle is actually the safest place that you could be, which is crazy to think about. And when you really think, like, like how is being up there with a small foundation like that in the middle of an earthquake, how is it the safest place to be in Seattle in the, in the midst of an earthquake? She said, because of this. What you see right here, there's way more. You see these legs? They actually go 30 feet down into the ground. This place not only has a concrete foundation, but the foundation is 30 feet below the ground. This thing is a solid rock. And at first I didn't believe her. I went to the internet. When I got back, I looked it up. And it's true. It's totally true. I fact-checked it. It was completely true. And I say that because I think sometimes especially confession of sin to like another human, we think that's like the dangerous place. We think confessing sin to somebody to like sitting them down and say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this. I just want you to know. We think that's the most dangerous place in human existence because we think, man, they've got one up on me now. This could go south really quick. And in reality, it's totally different. Confession of sin is actually probably the safest place you could ever be. And if you've actually confessed sin to somebody or come to God, what you will find is it is one of the most joyful and freeing experiences that you could ever find. Because we find the infection, but then we come to confession, and then God gives us protection. And then we come to the last stop before joy. It's called direction. Fourth stop it's in verse 8. God speaks in this psalm to the psalmist, and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. When we confess sin, not only are we forgiven, not only are we protected, but we are given a new path. Church, discipleship is a new path in life. Discipleship is not just this idea that I'm kind of identifying as a Christian now. Discipleship means my whole life has changed. I used to go this direction. Now I've become a learner of Jesus Christ. I, I look at his life and I, I curb my life to look like him. 
You see, the thing is, not only are we, do we confess sin, not only are we protected by Christ, but we get a whole new direction in life. Here God says, look, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Verse 9 says, basically, do not ignore God's loving help. I read this book called uh, The Nine Things Successful People Do. It's kind of one of the, of the newer versions of one of these books. They come out every, every uh, so often, uh, written by a girl named Heidi Halverson. Um, I think she's like at, uh, at Harvard or Princeton. She's a professor at one of those places. And she wrote this book, and uh, one of the things she said successful people do is, um, contrary to what most people think, they think that uh, successful people have like the best self-control in the world. And she said, actually, that, that, that's not really quite the case. But statistics have shown that people that have success in this life, meaning they're able to do the things that they want to do in life, is they, on average, they focus less on what they don't want to do and more on what they are now going to do. In other words, they're more proactive, right? And so if you're trying to eat better, and I've, I've experienced this, instead of saying, I'm not going to eat a brownie, I'm not going to eat a brownie, I'm not going to eat a brownie, or cookie, or pizza, or, you know, whatever you're not trying to eat, instead of doing that, you say, look, no, 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 I'm going to start eating these things. Instead of trying to withhold yourself from making a deliciously yummy dessert, you make a healthy dessert proactively. And she said, the problem is we put ourselves in situations and we're focused on everything that we're not going to do and we basically don't create a new path in our life. We, we basically try to stop doing stuff. We confess sin and we try to walk away from it, but we don't replace that with any new habit in our life. And so I'm going to try and stop sinning, but I don't increase maybe scripture reading. I don't increase prayer. I don't increase acts of service. We just create this void in our life of all these things that we're not going to do and it's just this temptation fest of everything that we're not supposed to do and it's miserable. And yet, God says in the psalm, I will teach you the way that you should go. Repentance isn't just confessing sin. It is, it is confessing your sin and then turning from sin to the Jesus life, to a new life. It's a new path that God gives us. It is a proactive thing. When we come to God, we don't just say, okay, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to pray that you help me. No, no, no. I'm doing all these new things now. My life is different, and it is transformed. The path to joy is a proactive path. It is full of good and godly things. The path to joy is not just full of not sinning. It is full of love. It is an active faith. It's a faith that loves God actively and loves people actively and loves the church actively. In the same way, successful people are proactive and they focus on what they're going to do. James, uh, I mean, in Philippians, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Joy is not just not sinning, though sin is a joy killer. Joy is about being a part of the beauty of God in everyday life. Joy is an active thing. Joy is something that you do. It is obedience. It is realizing that you were really created for a purpose. You were really created to do something with your life. 
You were really created to, to mean something and you begin to live out this purpose on God's mission. Joy is not just about not sinning. Joy is about confessing your sin and turning from it. It is turning in your plan of sexuality for God's active plan of sexuality. It is turning in the way you used to treat people you disagreed with to now doing it the way that Jesus says we're supposed to do it. It is a proactive thing. And so when we confess our sin, we confess we're protected but then God gives us a whole new direction, leading us to the final place. Our final place found in verses 10 and 11, our final stop today. The psalmist says, many, he says, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. It's the best verse. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, because he's been cleaned. And shout for what? For joy. All you upright in heart. Church, I don't know what you've been told about confession of sin. But if, if it feels like a burden in your soul, we don't understand it. If confession of sin does not sound and smell like freedom and joy and a new life and a new direction then you're not seeing it. You don't understand the Father's heart for you. You don't understand how much he loves you, how he wants you to be clean, how he wants you to be made new, how he wants you to be holy, how he wants you to be like him because in the very beginning, he created you to be like him. Like the Bible says God is amazing and wonderful and perfect and just and loving and compassionate and merciful and he created you in that image. Joy is, is, is knowing God in the fullness of who he is. It is living a life where your, your outer life and your inner life are in sync with, with glorifying God and finding joy. The God that created the entire universe crafted you in his image and the same way that the mountains and the skies and the universe are glorious things because they are full of the hand of God. You and I were created to be the same as well. We confess sin because we're on the path to joy and freedom and happiness. We confess and we allow Christ to be our substitute because God loves us and because he wants us to have good weeks, wants us to have good days, wants us to be happy. And yet we have to do these things on the inside. And so what if I told you that happiness was less about the money in your bank account, was less about how popular you are, It was less about what everyone thinks about you. Happiness is not really about how big your house is, how safe you are, how perfect your kids are, how perfect your parents are, how perfect your spouse is. That that happiness is actually not about those things at all. But that happiness comes from the inside, from a clean heart, from a clean soul in Christ. Church, I love you. I want you to have joy this week. And the confession of sin exists for your joy. Let's confess this week to God and to one another. Let's be intentional about it. We're not going to start a church program called confessional. Okay? We're not going Catholic, right? We're not doing that. I love you. And the confession of sin exists for your joy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we we come before you right now 
asking that our hearts would receive this message this morning, God. Lord, I pray that in some way we have, we have left the false view of confession and we have begun to walk towards a holy and beautiful and biblical understanding of what the confession of sin is. God, we confess that happiness and that joy only come from the soul. It's not a thing of the outer, it's a thing of the inner, God. And so, Father, would you come and would the unseen Holy Spirit invade and flood into our souls and begin to cleanse us of the sin as we confess it, and would you begin to make us holy and blameless, and as the song says, white as snow. As we partake in communion this morning, as we drink of the the juice and we eat of the bread, which represents your, your body and blood for us, would we actually realize that when we confess sin, this becomes our substitute, that your body is a representation of your love for us. And because, Father, you have proven such a deep love for us, we can come to you with our sin, with our transgressions, with nothing but hope that you will forgive us and you will love us. I pray if there's anybody in this room, Father, who is struggling with a sin, maybe it's a sin they've been struggling with for a while, I pray that this taking of communion would be so different. I pray that that this taking of communion would bring the finality of cleansing that they have been longing, that they have tried in their own power to create, and yet, God, you say we have to turn to you. So in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, I pray you break that chain in this place, and I pray that this spiritual meal that we are about to consume would be the representation of what you did in this moment right now, Father. We confess our darkness, and we pray for your light this morning. O Holy Spirit, breathe joy into our souls as we take this meal. We ask all these things in the perfect name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.